Welcome to the Everyday Whiteness podcast series, The Uncomfortable Conversations on Well-Meaning White People. This podcast is primarily for white listeners. It's also a podcast for all listeners who unconsciously operate through a lens of whiteness, regardless of the body that you inhabit. It's not meant to shame you for being white or thinking white, but rather to support you in having more awareness of the impact of your whiteness as a cultural code of conditioning. My name is Guru Nishan. I'm a disruptor of cultural indoctrination and actively support the dismantling of false identity by curating uncomfortable conversations on taboo topics hiding in plain sight. I stand committed to the ongoing dismantling of internalized whiteness within myself and to make visible what is often rendered invisible in business, community, and culture. Today's guest, I'd like to welcome Dee Phillips. He's a philosopher, creator, and deep thinker. And he's a longtime friend. I want to say we met more than a decade and a half ago. So I want to thank you so much for um, being open to being on the podcast today. Thanks, Dee. You're welcome. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. And I feel honored to just be invited to, for anyone to hear what I have to say, what I think. Right on. Um, I, you know, we haven't, we've stayed in contact a little bit over the years. I was in business sales and you've always been kind of this, your own businessman. And, and uh, I am having this conversations and I just reached out to you and was like, Hey, would you be open to this conversation? So um, you said yes. And so I just always start out this podcast with asking guests, like from your point of view and from your lived experience, what is well-meaning white people or white person even mean to you? A well-meaning white person, what does that actually mean to me? Um, when I think about a well-meaning person, I tend to look at everything from my own perspective, meaning that how I see myself. I think that we all move along in this world and we respond to the world and we see the world, how we touch it, how we hear it, how we taste it, it all comes from how we see ourselves. That is first and foremost. Once I learned how to see myself differently, then I had a certain subconscious or unconscious way of seeing how other people may perceive me. Hmm. And when I say that, I mean that, for instance, if you and I lived in a box, and in that box, there were different experiences in that box. And one day we were released out of this box. We're going to see the world relative to what we learned and what we saw, heard, and tasted while in that box. Hmm. I can't convince you to see what I see or feel what I feel because you lived in a different box. Hmm. So when I, as I got older, and I shed it away the pain and the reminders of the historical events that that have taken place in black in the black community. I started to realize that many of the ongoing experiences that we have is really in relation to how we see ourselves in the current day relative to that past experience, 
even though many of those people are dead and gone, and yeah, there are some systems in place, but most of our experience that we have, most of the experiences that we have really has everything to do with how we see ourselves, which is relative to the, to the constant reminders that we have heard over the years, being reinforced, crystallized in ourselves, and making us who we are and how we see the world, regardless if it was 50 years ago, 100 years ago. And that is something that was eye-opening for me. So when I think about well-meaning white person or a well-meaning person other than myself or a different race, I think we all want to do good and we want to uh, represent ourselves in the best light. Yeah, sometimes we may not see the world in that light because of our experience. And then in some cases, the person may be well-meaning, but yet they have preconceived assumptions that they had no idea that existed. So one thing that I find myself doing is, is um, setting the tone often, more than not. And I think that is a, a privilege that I think white people have because we're in a different position. And I don't use the I don't use the position, I don't use the word white supremacy because a friend of mine who's white said that that was a compliment, even if they don't believe themselves. Just like if you say that black supremacy. There was no black person would ever look at that like that's a bad, right? Or Chinese supremacy, whatever race you are. But yet we use the term white supremacy often. And what we're doing is we're projecting and reinforcing a supreme place in their, in their lives. And they don't even realize that they're doing it unconsciously. And we're giving that power by using simple words like that. So I don't use that word. Never, you'll never hear that word come out of my mouth my mouth, unless it's coming out of in this context, explaining why I don't use it. Well right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's one way is that I I, I tear down the, the past within myself and give people an opportunity to be well-meaning. But when I do notice those unconscious biases or unconscious statements such as you sound articulate, then I also, then those are the things that I have to remind people with, you know, um, when I speak to them. Those are just some subtle things that happens, but I think for the most part, for people that are not of the uh, a person of color, they really just want to make sure that they're in a safe place. It's very difficult for them, and that's what I'm noticing, right? What can they say? How do they? How do they relate to me? Right? You're There's a lot about, of. I'm going to pause just to clarify. You're talking about you're noticing the challenge of white folks, white people, say this category, say well-meaning white folks that might want to ask questions, might want to clarify and like kind of stuck in like, I'm not sure if I can ask anything. I don't know if I can approach anywhere. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Or just want to be friends or curious or want or or feel a liking for a person, but they're cautious because of how we have projected them overall. So sometimes I feel like that they're forced to be a certain way because of what I have said about them and their ancestors, which is a lot of times it's a tug of war of of present desires and wishing for the relationship, but living in past experiences. So help me understand, you're saying, so um, because of of vocalizing truths of historical truths that have happened to black communities, your family, other people's family in black circles by speaking these things out loud you're saying that then you notice that then there are white people that might respond in 
uh, not knowing how to respond thus forward because that was said. And so it's like, oh, is that safe to to say something? Mm-hmm. So it's a bit of a sense of like um, f- fragile to the realities that we have to become aware of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it be it put them in a position. So instead of even making friends with the person of color or or being in a position where I want to socialize or get to know or go get out of my comfort zone and just reach out and and be sociable, there's always this sense of guard that I think that they have to be on. While some people of color constantly are sometimes looking to be offended in some cases. Right. Instead of just taking a relationship as it is, you still want to protect those things when they come out and maybe provide some level of education. But that doesn't that's not a deal breaker. They don't know. So I think that we, on the other hand, as, as people of color, we, we first we need to be more um, understanding that part of the issue is us and how we have related to the world, how we're projected, how we treat ourselves, how we treat our friends, how we, the conversations we have when we're in public. People are listening to that and they're passing on judgment and passing words back and forth to each other of people, other people that is not of, of color. And they're creating a certain standard of how they we need to be handled and how we need to be um, dealt with in all situations, whether it's being pulled over by the police. Now they're on defense because of what they heard or what they believe and what they think. Not based on any experience, right? That's really what it boils down to. So I believe that, and honestly, and I and and I'm in the minority when I think about this. Yeah. But not a lot of black people really believe, or people of color believe, that they need to go first in making reprimands because it's not. Can you explain it a little more? Because what I'm hearing a little, and what I would love to hear you dissect a little more, because I feel like you are bringing a an interesting thought process to this. is that historically black people have had to acquiesce to white spaces or to oh, the oh. spaces they were regulated into. Mm-hmm. And so Absolutely. I can understand the opposite bound of that is to say, no, I'm going to learn to take up more space yes. and also learn to embody more of the things that maybe make me uniquely me instead of trying to conform to say white standards of beauty or white standards of expression or white standards of language. Right. And mm-hmm. so within the black community, there's obviously a Period of human expressions and all the ways that blackness gets to express itself. And it's not all going to be the same as you aren't going to be the same as another human being who happens to also be black as their life experiences. But to kind of have a statement like what you're saying is that black people need to be the one that kind of like make this the safety zone. Haven't black people been doing that for centuries and then yet I, I, still being infiltrated in their own agency? Yeah, well, like anything, I believe that anything, whether you're going on a diet, whether you want better sleep, whether you want a better job, where you want to be, whether you want to be educated, everything starts with the seed. Everything requires a seed. Nothing happens instantaneously. Even when things happen instantaneously, like a win, there's usually a, a you're because the receiver is not ready for it, you lose it typically. But when you take slow baby steps and grow it and nurture it, then it becomes a great thing. I think that one of the first places and why I say that we need to be go first in that space is because we're the ones complaining. We're the ones asking for something. We're the ones looking and searching, right? But what if we take a different approach to that? I don't think that white people are going to just say, you know what? 
I think all of us have enough jobs. I think we should give a few to a few other people. That's not going to happen. And we we already know that's not going to happen. The systems of, of, of racism that's been in place that we're asking for, for additional, um, you know, uh, uh, reparations or whether it's asking for an opportunity to sit at the table at, uh, uh, as an executive in companies, right? These are things that, yeah, we ask for and we're fighting for that those things should never change. Being rep, asking for the proper representation, even though you're qualified, that should never change. But in the general sense, before it gets to that point, I think that people should, we should see ourselves and how we're really reflecting in the world so that we can represent ourselves in a certain way, even though we're, we're not changing how we wear our hair, we're not changing how we look or the music that we like, we're representing ourselves at a higher, uh, st in, a, in a higher standard. What I mean by that is, is when you're out representing, speak a certain way. You know, a lot of races, a lot of cultures, they come here even from Africa, for instance, right? A lot of black people wonder why Africans, even though you look like them, they're African, how do they oftentimes seem to be per, per, per ratio, Africans or foreigners are more employed percentage-wise than the people who are born and raised in America? Why is that? Right, it's because they understand how they should represent themselves. They understand that it's not anyone else's fault but themselves to go out there and take advantage of opportunities. Right. So yeah, I mean, I I would lend it to say there's a lot more reasons to that in terms of the Africans that we get to meet are usually a very high, per, small percentage of very wealthy Africans that get access to certain types of education, and not necessarily a broad range of of a, a, all populations of African people. But I do understand your argument in terms of that population that gets, I wouldn't say argument, but your point is that population gets a certain amount of um, very learned education. And it also happens to be quite proper because it comes from British educational mm -hmm. systems more than American, which is also much more proper so anyway, that's its own side note. But I do have a question for you. I hear what you're saying because I also feel like these are different points of view within um, various populations of, of Black people, African-American people, however people want to name themselves. And even historically, that this has actually been something I've read in, in different historical things that certain um, authors and writers kind of had that language of what you're saying is that when we're in public, we need to represent the collective in a better way and the language we use and the way we dress and that these things are a part of like we're representing all of us in, yeah. in the things. Um, what I also love that you're saying is that no matter the atrocity that had taken place historically, we still have the choice within the spirit of self to be able to change the way that we see ourselves. And that's to right. me, if that's fundamental to overcoming any trauma, historical, present day, and, and recapturing our self-image. And I also want to acknowledge that the points of view you're bringing up are quite complex because they're very different points of view within Black communities, right? Yes. What I'm wondering is if you would give us kind of a lens into the experiences that brought you to these points of view in the sense mm -hmm. that there are systems and everyday experiences with whiteness that is historical that's bleeding into today. And the stance that I see you've taken in your life is to choose to 
be more of you and create kind of safe zone where people can learn beyond their ignorant stance that you aren't the assumptions in their head and you're going to be a living example of that every moment that you possibly can be. Mm-hmm. And I bet you interact with with well-meaning whiteness that's kind of like, hmm, there it is. And I'm wondering if you would be willing to speak to some of that. Yeah, I don't really experience those, the, 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 the negative part of that anymore. All right. And I'm going to share with you that I don't experience that anymore because I changed how I see myself. And I really can't stress that any, 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 anymore because how you hear, how you see, how you taste is all a representation of who you are, which is a, which is a representation of who you, your experience in the past, right? So a person can say the same thing to three different Black people and they can have three different responses to it. And it can not mean anything at all. And one of them are going to be able to move forward in the right way without any repercussions, without any pain without any ongoing trauma associated with that one incident. But you can have two other people that will have a completely different set of experiences that will keep them pigeonholed where they are and never be able to come out of that shell because of that one experience. So what I'm saying is that you can change your perspective and how you see yourself and how you see everything at the snap of a finger like a light switch, right? And once, and in order to, to, for that to happen, you have to let go. So I don't see let go of the past. I mean, you have to be able to not hold on, letting hold on and holding on to these past pains because that is uh, that is shaping how you see the world. So I don't really see those examples of 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 racism. I don't see that. I don't experience that anymore. So and anywhere in the world, you don't have interactions with this on a regular basis. You mostly are just saying that it's Black people's problem and they need to change the way they see. And No, no, it's not, it's, it's not only that. I think you're going to run into problems with, with all people. I don't care what race they are. But, but when you okay, say... But, that, but I want to talk about Black people and, and white because the interaction of that historically is a present day... Mm-hmm. living memory it's not in the past and so right. i come from a spiritual community where the rhetoric i hear you saying around you just got to let the past go has been used in my lived experience as a way to bypass very real pain mm-hmm. very real abuse that mm-hmm. has never had the light of day right. it might have happened and it might have been able to be acknowledged or not mm-hmm. but that's a for me in my lived experience, it's a spiritual bypass. It's saying let the go. It's kind of the victim language. It's stop being a victim, carry on, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, and you are yeah. a spirit and you can change your your forward trajectory. And a part of me believes that because I know that to be true. And another part of me knows the amount of trauma that has lived unconscious in my body and how much it's affected the way that I see and don't see and the way I interact and don't interact. And I can appreciate that maybe you don't have anything to share, but then it's a conversation on how Black people should operate, not necessarily how we can expose everyday whiteness. And, I, and I'm okay that maybe that's not what this conversation is about, but I'm curious. Yeah. You know? Well, exposing everyday whiteness, what does that really mean? I'm you know, curious what it means for you because yeah, it means nothing. I'm here and it means nothing for you. Yeah, I don't I don't see whiteness. Like I don't see everyday whiteness. Like, you know, like I I I have a wife, I have a kid, I have a I have a son at a prestigious university, 
my son is my youngest son is and these are and they both went to predominantly white institutions schools and they're in college at white institutions so they don't one of the reasons let me say, let me explain one of the reasons why i moved into the town that i live in where do you is live? because i'm sorry what town and i live in glen ellen illinois right so one of the reasons why i moved to this town is because i didn't want the same setbacks that i had regarding how I saw myself relative to the majority of people that I see in the world. That is hindering, equally as hindering as holding on to a, a past trauma. Yes, it has happened. Yes, you should take a picture of it and remember that that happened, but it should not debilitate you from moving forward. You shouldn't relive it in your cells and your genes, the experience because that is not why the experience take, took place. I've had traumatic experience that has happened to me. What, white, we're dealing with white people or dealing with racist police officers. I've had those things and I overcame them and I came out of, right? Those are things that is really bad and it's bad to know that they exist. You know, why are police officers so fearful of black people? I'm telling you why, it's because they're afraid because of the messages that they've gotten from other white people that tell them who we are but none of them really know black people. The best people to know as far as a white person is a white person that know black people. Those are the best people that know how to respect us, give us the things that, well, not give us anything, but to respect us and treat us as an equal. Everyone else, they seem to carry a certain, a certain standard within themselves that makes them believe that they are above or better, or they have something that I just don't have even capable of even achieving. So I wanted to move into this neighborhood because I wanted one thing to be for my children, and that is to not have race as an identity for them. They know they're Black, and I make sure that they know that they're Black, because that's a that's a benefit, right? There's a lot of beautiful benefits to that, right? But on the other side of it, I make sure that, that, that they go to school with them, they have friends, and they're around them because they need to make sure that they're comfortable moving around in the world because that is what they're going to see on a daily basis. It's on their, the faces on their money, the faces on the store, at the store, uh, at the bank where you go and get a loan. That's what you're going to see. But if you don't see that, then you have something else that you're representing, which is the standard and quality of who you are as an individual. Your energy precedes you in every space, right? If you're angry when people say when it rains, it pours, when it rains, it pours because you're giving attention to that rain. So, of course, it's going to pour the universe, you, your emotions and your how you see yourself in your mind, which is historically created and shaped, is going to be an effect on how you touch the world. So when you go in and try to get that loan at the bank and all you see white, are white people, if you believe that you're not going to get that loan because you're black, that loan officer is going to recognize that it's something about you that I need to not give you this loan. They're going to feel that. That's the energy and that's the power that I live by. And I'm telling you this because this that has transformed my life with how I see that. And that has shaped how I pass on to my children. And they are, pers they are persevering um, and surviving way better than I have idea when I was their age. One is because they do not have any hindrance of thinking about any situation and uh, that can that can limit them regarding their race or anyone else's race.
Thank you. I, and I think everything you're saying is absolutely 100%. Um, the question I have is how, well, first of all, is Glen Ellen a predominantly white neighborhood? Yes, it is. Okay. And so um, what what is the experience, let's say, for your children, and I, and I don't know if you can even answer this for them, say to be in a community where they're, they are, you're teaching them that beyond the color of one's skin, you have the power of who you are as a being, right? You're seeking spirit, direct wisdom, right? And all of that to be true. And there are structures they have to interface, as you're talking about, as being Black children, where majority of the people around them aren't Black children. Are there, there are things that you communicate to them around the realities that they're going to face differently than, say, other children their, their age and, you know, yep. being yep. that they're yep. Black kids? Yeah, absolutely. Like, we have training. I train them on what to do. My oldest son, I trained him on what to do if he get pulled over by the police. Right. These are things that I just do, but it's not an extra effort because I'm black. I just want to protect my son and teach him because there are more white people that get killed by police than black. That's just the truth. More as a per body, as a race. Percentage wise, yeah, it's, a, it's high when it comes to black people because we're a minority. But more white people die at the hands of police officers than black people. Right. So that means that right. somebody. But with the add that statistic doesn't lend value to the conversation that's being taken place around the historical nature of the Ku Klux Klan being a force that led into how the police force operates in a lot mm -hmm. of spaces. And so mm -hmm. I appreciate what you're saying. And I feel like it skirts speaking to the dark reality of history mm -hmm. as a way to not pollute the positive mind. Mm -hmm. And I can appreciate that as a thought process because I come from business mm -hmm. and, and, and positive thinking and spiritual concepts. But for me, again, it skirts talking about everyday realities mm -hmm. as if talking about it takes away the focal point of, of, of focusing on positivity. And, and right. I don't personally believe that. I can appreciate mm -hmm. you might live your life that way mm -hmm. and other positive minded people might. But I'm curious if... Mm -hmm. You can speak to some of the mundane things as opposed to the solution oriented, ver you know, because to say a statistic like as many white people, it doesn't land so well because we know that statistically what we're seeing in terms of the black bodies and how those bodies get killed versus mm -hmm. how the bodies of white folks might get killed or any other body of culture gets killed mm -hmm. are very different and historically rooted differently. It is. It is historically rooted differently. But again, we're talking about historic, right? I passed down certain messages to my children that it was passed down to me, right? Historically, police officers get passed down certain assumptions and how they need to handle certain people by certain stereotypes because the police chief has passed it down from their police chief from the 50s and 40s. It's just a continuous- It's so, tradition so, and trauma passing exactly, on, I get exactly. it. What so I'm saying what? is, how does that show up in your life as opposed to saying you can get over it? Because science shows we don't just get over it. Our nervous system carries mm -hmm. the adaptogenetic mm -hmm. memory mm -hmm. of historical trauma, whether yeah. or not we get over it through our mind. Yeah, but, you, but well, you actually do get over it. So let, let me share with you the way the way actually sickness is even passed down. I don't believe, and I was taught as a, as a, from my parents, right, that sickness is not genetic. Just because your mom had genetic stomach disorders or cancer, right, 
people believe that you're going to have that too. So we can even do a test to show you, okay, well, women are going to get these breasts cut. They're getting cut. To, I to, agree to, with to everything it, you're saying. Right? Heredity but, is different than genetic, than possible yeah. genetic. Like we're going into yeah. some slippery conversation though. So. Okay, I, I am. But let's, but, 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 but along those lines, Nishan, along that line, what if, and this is the way I was taught, what if it's not the genetic biology and physiology that is actually causing the sickness. What if it's the thinking that was passed down that is exactly the way moms was, that was exactly like grandmas, that was exactly like grandpas, that's causing the same sickness. And then one day you recognize that it was the thinking that caused the body to incorporate these same sicknesses. Why? Because genetically we're built the same, but we, and so that means that we may have a deficiency in one place, but it doesn't have to cause cancer unless we're thinking the same way that cancer attracts and creates it in the body. But when you change, when you, trans, the when you transform the thinking mind from your past, then your future is going to be different. I've never been, I haven't been pulled over by the cops. I don't know. It's been 25 years since I've been pulled over by the Right. And when they pulled me over, it's a beautiful experience every single time. And my son has been pulled over and he has had a really positive experience. But they came to him first, assuming that he was going to say the wrong thing to jar them into a response. And the same thing happened to me. So there is a change that is that is changing in the world. Like I said, everything is a seed. When more people respect that seed of growth then you have broader response overall. But you have pockets of people that are not aware of that. So when they are out in the world, they're going to receive a traditional historical response because they are living and believing in the in a historical way. And that's just what I've observed, right? So now, white people I do appreciate, have- Okay, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. While white people do have a responsibility to recognize that, it's not my to job. To recognize what? To recognize, to recognize that. that those systems are in place still and those past, those historical, that historical racism, it, it, it is passed on. But when they rec- they need to recognize that once they recognize that we're not all the same, then the conversation changes. And I'm telling you this because I, hit, I listen to the conversations of my, my son's white friends, Right. You think about the conversations when it comes to homosexuals now. You can't even say certain things. Almost like overnight, um, you can't say certain things regarding homosexuals, right? Okay. And that, that's because the power has been spent and, and supported for them. But where is the power when it comes to passing on the white racism and the systematic racism, right? That is the response of white people to recognize that they're of that benefit. But so what's going me, to really can change? you illuminate that a little more? What's the responsibility for white people? Yeah, that's that's their responsibility based on how they see themselves relative to us. So it's all relative. So if they're going to but they're not being forced to do it is what I'm saying. There is no systems in place that's forcing white people to change. Right there. It doesn't exist. So we have to do it. Does that make You're sense? saying so the responsibilities on black people to help white people do it? You you have to change that narrative and how they see in their mind. I know, but are you saying that black people have to help white people do that work? That's the way it starts. Yeah, we have their to perspective? help them. 
We have so, to help so them change. So what are perspective. some ways, because what are the ways that Black people help white people change their perspective or do this work? Okay. You have to move in their neighborhoods just like I did. Because so, when they see you and they live next door to you and they come in your house for dinner and they see that, oh, you're just like me. When you go to their institutions, when you perform, right? There is no reason why you would go out. And let me tell you the number one thing that has grown that seed, that slow seed that we're growing to make the change in the world. You know what the number one thing that happened in 2012? That was when we had a black president that was married to a black woman that had black children. That right there was the catalyst that transformed the image of black people so much that so many people decided to change how they represented themselves. And also, that was the first time that a lot of white people got a chance to see, oh, there are black people that are like him, not only as a president, but they're all around me. So I changed my lens and how I see myself relative to it based on that. And so President he, Obama did that because of he decided to make a change in how he saw himself. So, so Dee, I, I hear you, but I, yeah. it doesn't land because I know plenty of successful Black people in mm -hmm. white neighborhoods all right. across the nation that have had okay. all sorts of atrocities. And okay. they do change their thinking. They have changed their own status economically. They're They're moving in similar ways that you're talking about. What I'm hearing, though, is that you keep putting the responsibility on Black people to support white people to change the way they see because there's nothing else putting pressure on them. And yeah. that's really hard for me to grasp because I feel like Black people have done that historically and present day. And if I see anything, it's Black people making a choice not to do that. And from a trauma-informed perspective... I've learned how to do to say no. You, I'm not going to participate in 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 emotionally care emotionally caring you to understand things that you could simply research if you were actually interested. Why because, would they do that? What's the benefit of them doing that? Well, because I personally take a stance that this type of privilege and myth of white body supremacy hurts white people and the capacity of building culture within our it, own bodies of culture. Therefore, mm -hmm. I witness appropriation and extraction and a, really a lot of black people overextending themselves to help where historically that help has never been. The things I hear you saying historically that that isn't true. I'm glad it's true for you, but I've read mm -hmm. lots of things that that's not true. That when there's layers of economic status, somebody's an attorney and they still get pulled over and treated the same way. Mm -hmm. So this idea that it's just in your mind for mm -hmm. me is a personal mm -hmm. huge disagreement because I yeah. come from that train of thought in business yeah. histor before. And mm -hmm. when I've learned about how complex trauma and specifically PTSD shows up in our bodies, mm -hmm. It's not in the mind that this yeah. memory is in stored. And the science yeah. is not just about the health of cancer passing on, although I mm -hmm. agreed with everything you said. Mm -hmm. But early attachment and all of historical trauma transfers on. And yes, mm -hmm. I hear you doing generational changes that are going to mm -hmm. then transfer forward. So there's nothing in disagreement. I'm yeah. just curious about the responsibility ending up on Black people to help white people. Well, it's not about helping. That's not that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying help them. I'm saying you represent yourself and be seen in a certain way so that they can help 
it could allow them to have a changed vision. And I'm, let me let me let me go further with this, right? Think about the Chinese community, right? In the 40s, 30s, right? 50s. Chinese community, the Asian community was not what the Asian community is today. They were primarily agriculture workers and they worked at the road, on the railroad for the most part. And they lived in slums in poor towns, poor areas, right? But what happened, right? What happened? Why are they considered, they make more money and they're highly edu more educated in America than any other race. What happened? Why did that change happen? Are you telling me that white people did something different and gave them a pass? They don't even get money when they come here for colleges. They don't get free money like a lot of other races. Why, what happened to make them appear in the United States different all of a sudden within a 50 year time period for the most part? Well, it's been more, a little bit longer than that. But what happened? Why is it they're considered educated? They're considered smarter. They're considered more successful than any other race. Why? What happened? When they were at the bottom in America and for many, many years, what happened? To add to this conversation, I would need to do my history on some Chinese Americans. Yeah. This, is, this one's hard for me right now, but I yeah. go ahead. Yeah. It's, it's not. Yeah, they transformed how they individually saw themselves and they took advantage of the opportunities that were here. What's stopping? You can go right now on 63rd and Hostel. You can go on 45th, right, in the, in the city. And you can talk and you can see people from 9 a.m. to 9 a.m. at night, fully healthy, while the community college system, Daly College, Malcolm X College, they are filled with people. But what is causing them to not sign up for a simple two-year class at a community college? What, what what makes them want to go out there and sell drugs? I'm sorry, you're talking about, okay. I'm talking and about black this, people. I understand, but yeah. why does the responsibility keep getting put on black people? The, the responsibility of changing anything starts with yourself. Yeah, it but always black does. communities have come together, created lots of exceptional wealth, lots of exceptional, yes. Yes. and those communities okay. have been bombed by white people that didn't okay. like that black people were getting ahead. And okay. I hear what you're saying, but it's as okay. if it's for the first time that black people need to show themselves as respectable people in a community when no. for hundreds, the last hundred plus right. years, black right. people have demonstrated okay. their capacity well, to be self-sufficient, provide for mm -hmm. themselves, create their own businesses, and yeah. not yeah. need outside resources and yet what i hear you saying is blaming black communities that are in poverty which is no, no, a no, rhetoric no, that is no, really painful no no, no i'm not only blaming supremacy models and i don't hear you i hear you I'm, said i'm not only even, blaming that i know about black you're Wall bringing us to a conversation yep. that's like it's 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 not even present day life it's i know about black walls rhetoric right? I know but about that's Black one Wall of hundreds, as we yeah. know. So I, know, I want to hear yeah. about yeah. what what are everyday systems of whiteness that you've mm -hmm. found, you've overcome, but yeah. that we could expose to people that mm -hmm. that are saying white people are saying what you're saying. It's black people's fault. No, it's mm -hmm. not. It's mm -hmm. white people too. White people are a part of it. So how mm -hmm. can we help 
to illuminate that part, not the part right. that says black people in poverty need to be able to get a better job because mm-hmm. they're not representing our 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 status properly publicly. Right. So you're you're okay. So I'm aware that there are systems in place that has always been in place that have been what that are white some people of those have systems? been. In. What oh, are we some can go back. To, we can go back to redlining for real estate. We can go. We can go to educational qualifications. We can go to that what that we didn't have access to. Right. We can go uh, from health from the healthcare system. There's a lot of things that that has been in place that has kept people sick where they can't do things right. There are systems that were like we think about the Tuskegee experiment. Those were atrocities that had really damaged black community. But it's bigger than somebody sitting back and saying, let's change their mind and their thinking. The comfort zone is a snowball. Nishan, it's a snowball effect that people have developed massive amounts of wealth, comfort, and sustainability that no one is willing to look at and do anything about. You can, this is a system that has been around. People have been fighting and arguing and coming together and trying to overcome that system that is in place forever. Ever since the free, ever since before slavery, right? <laughs> We're talking about hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of white people benefiting from these systems and creating new systems that creates even that even supports the past system that keeps them moving ahead and forward. That are that are there, present today. Yes, there are not. There's there isn't anything that's going to happen that's going to shape the mind of a white person and change it unless they do it themselves. And the only way they do it themselves is when they see the pain of black people, which is when it's blast plastered on TV. And then they think about it and say, wow, that is a terrible thing, right? But when they go home and they shut the television off, they're going for a walk in their nice, safe neighborhood. And they're going into their refrigerator that's full of food in some cases, I'm not talking about all of them, right? Sure. And I'm saying they're going to these great institutions, they're going to the banks and they're getting loans and they're starting businesses. This is, the nobody's going to stop that. You cannot stop that. The only thing you can do as any person of color is the same way the Asian community did. It's the same way Arabs do when they come to America. And it's the same way that other Africans come when they come to America. They come, they live on whatever minimal means that they have and they go and get educated and they find a way to fit in and be successful within their own right without rocking the boat. And they're not, they're not asking any white person for anything. They're doing it on their own. Do you know that one of the biggest problems with black, black people in America and Africans is because Africans think that we have a problem because how are they can come here, be successful. Even Arnold Schwarzenegger said it. He came from Germany, right? Or Austria, wherever he's from, Germany. And he became a freaking governor, right? Yeah, but this argument really doesn't ever land for me because the colonialist mentality of those educated Africans and other foreigners that we get over here are a very different status and population and very much rooted in colonial mindset. And so even if that's the judgment of people when they come here, it's still rooted in colonial mindset. And it's an imperialistic mindset that very much goes along with the historical American imperialistic model that is implemented worldwide. 
which is extraction of culture. So what's so, going to, so how are we going to overcome that? It's been well, around. In my opinion, we talk about it. We talk about it honestly. We speak to it. We shed light on who does the things. That? That's who? what I do personally. To who? To white people? Well, that's the concept. Yes, yes, that there are lots that's of well-meaning to... white people that absolutely know they have work to do, but don't know where to begin. I agree with you that a lot of them are kind of frozen and don't even know how to start that conversation. I don't agree that Black people should be the one elevating and making that better, although I appreciate that that's a lens. Um, and I, I just think that historically white people haven't had to, as you're saying, and there's a and they're not interested in and they're not interested. Well, I disagree with that. I just disagree. I I just don't think that there's um a lot of it that's ever impacted anything, right? And so it's all very individualized, and so therefore yes. there is no context for right. changing a system when there's lots of individuals operating in places versus a collective body that says, mm. yeah, we got a problem and the system's got to change because of X yeah. and X reasons. What I hear One you thing... saying is it's too rooted. The systems are too rooted. They're too historical. White people have no impetus to change. And so the best solution is to just focus on what you can control, which is self. That's what I hear you saying. That's all you ever have. You're only, you're only in control of two things in this world. You're only in control of two things. You're only in control of what you think about and how you respond in all situations. Now, here's what's going to happen, right? When you have a high standard for yourself and you can't live in that standard because someone is taking it from you, you're going to fight for it. You're going to fight for that standard, right? But nobody's or the only, nobody, no one is taking away a white person's standard. No one is even challenging that standard. So therefore, it's no reason to really change. You only change when your back is against the wall, right? You don't change just because you just want to be a nice person. You can have well-meaning intentions all day long. Right. But if your back isn't against the wall and your stomach isn't growling, Michelle, you're not going to change. You're not going to put in that foot, that leg work to change. So, but, but I'm going to tell you something else that happens. When Black people are raising and living in a certain standard, for instance, for me, if you tell me that I couldn't go to a certain institution because of my race, which at one time it was, but I went to University of Michigan, top, top institution, right? This is a primarily white institution, right? I made sure that I did everything that I needed to do to increase my chances of getting into that school or any other top school, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I couldn't do, but I, but I stopped going to school for 10 years, Nishan, because in my mind, I could not compete with the system, right? But what happened is, in my when I tell you that, I'm talking about in my mind, that system robbed me of my ability to use my internal ability to find success within myself and turn a blind side to those things that's not even there in order for me to find success. Once I clear my plate and my body and my heart, and my energy of those past atrocities, past atrocities, those systems that are in place, I was able to move freely with, within my own abilities and moving in the right way. And some of my closest friends were white that helped me to find that success, right? Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm saying it has to start from the person that's asking 
for something from someone else. White people are not asking black people for a damn thing. Never have and never well, will. I just disagree. I think white what people are they asking take, for? They take things from black people. So they don't oh, they, have to ask. Yeah. They've just taken yeah. it. So they've taken That's culture, they've taken yeah. you know, music, they take literature, yeah. they take inventions. Yeah. They so take we need to do better as far as we need to do better. Again, it starts. Why is speak. it black people's fault that white people keep yeah. extracting and stealing their culture? That's the nature. That's like me walking around with a python in my in my in my in my back seat, asking me, uh, and I'm thinking the python isn't going to bite me. Okay, so right? I just heard you say that yeah. that's the what that's whiteness that's, nature that's, that that's extraction. The nature. It's the nature. Once you live in a certain way for so long, it becomes nature. It's the name. Of, it's the name of we. You have to change the nature of a thing in order to expect it to change. You can't change the nature of desiring the beauty and resources of the world, the gold, the diamonds, the culture, the art, the talent. It's still being exploited now, even in the NBA and the sports world, right? Yes, it is. Yeah. Full on and whole new Full all on, levels. Right? right. And then when it comes to hiring a white coach, it's like, oh, wait a minute. It's always the same thing. It's fear of losing, fear of losing resources, thinking that you're living within these, par these parameters. Once we open our mind and realize we're not living within a certain parameter, white people will change, black people will change, black people will let go, white people will be open. That's how it works. It has to be a partnership, yeah. right? I agree with everything you said, except for the black people let go and white people will open because I appreciate the sentiment. When I say let go, I'm talking about internal, internally let go, internally. Not let go that those things exist. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not crazy. I know that these systems exist, but how do I operate as an individual to maximize this beautiful life that I have? Yes. How do I do that? Do I hold on to yesterday's pain? Do I hold on to what happened in 1925? Do I hold on what happened to my grandfather when he was hung and left outside on the porch for us to see to put fear in us? Am I should I? And that's a true story. Do I need to, should I hold on in to that? In your family? In my family. My great-great-grandfather was, when white people came and they took him, same thing happened to my wife. They took him, they had a thing where they would take the, the male figure, right, in the South, and they would kill him, and they would throw, and they would leave him in the front so the family can see his body there, right, daring you to touch it, otherwise the same thing. These are all the systems that has been fearful and but guess Using what? Using fear, right, as, right, right. As sad as those historical events has happened, I have uncles right now that are on drugs. They couldn't move forward because of that image. They weren't even freaking born when it happened. But yet it was passed down to them that fear that it worked really, really well for white people to continue to move on in their life. But yet some of us, some of us said, damn that fear, damn that experience. It happened. It's an atrocity and it's upsetting that it happened. But how do we have to know that? How do I move forward in this world in this day of time? Because those same white minds does not exist right now. You're those saying people they don't? That, those people that, listen to what I'm saying to you, those people that did that are dead. Yeah, the people but the that ancestry saw that lives. Are dead. But the but ancestry lives on. Right. And then they learn, and the white people are learning too, is what I'm saying. White yeah. people are learning that that was wrong. No, they I learned don't think that. white people are learning that. Are they, they learning that? Many, oh, absolutely they're learning that. Ask Martin Luther King. Do you see all the white people that was out marching with them? Do you see you the know, people that, that really supported them? 
Think about the Underground Railroad. Many of those houses that were that the slaves ran to with Harriet Tubman were white people's houses. Yeah, and a lot of the people watching the hangings were white people too. So what we're yeah. saying is there's yeah. different so what do we want to hold but when on white to people again, but when white people open, we have to, because we haven't had to, as you as you so eloquently said, deal with with everyday privilege that these systems support in our existence yeah. right so the lineage right. of those people whether our lineage might have been a part of an abolitionist family that was a part of that underground railroad or our history lineage might have been a part of the groups of families that stood around trees and watched this stuff for regular entertainment or right. children that got muted either way that pain lives in the bodies of of our own white cultures that we've never yeah. processed and yeah. i think when that opening happens white people have their own reckoning to do mm -hmm. and, yeah. and it includes happens. knowing their historical stories that mm -hmm. many of us don't know because yeah. our parents moved on and didn't talk about it and didn't have yeah. to talk about it because mm -hmm. their life was bolstered with privilege versus yeah. Yeah. Um, historical families yeah. of, the, of my the, yeah yeah the pain is happening right now in white culture Nishan the pain is happening right now that's what the whole white guilt is that's why we tore down the statues right do you think that causes pain for people? You have a statue, a beautiful statue of your lineage, your heroes, your history, your culture. They're being torn down. That's or pain. what you've been taught is your culture, not oh, actually your culture, but you've been taught yeah. a false little minimum. Yes. And then and then schools and whole monuments yes. and all the things that are familiar. Yes. It's painful because it's yeah. a false narrative that you've been yeah. taught as your identity. That's right. But it's not the real stories of yeah our ancestors because we haven't necessarily been given that yeah, just like a we, lot of black people haven't given stories of their own ancestors no that's true but but we're talking about opening our opening what what opening that that guilt up opening up that guilt and that pain and what does that mean for white people right when you do those kind of things it has opened up conversations that are really really beautiful conversations that are causing a lot of white people to stand down and change how they have seen the world and how have they have seen people. It is changing, Nishan, and that is what I'm saying. Do you have some examples, um, like in, in your family and with your kids and your experiences, do you have some examples of that you'd like to share? Regarding white people? Yeah, just like conversations that you're you're saying you've met them and kind of planted a seed and maybe it grew and you've witnessed oh, yeah. what what is an example I have conversations I have conversations with, I go to I go to lunch and dinners with white people like that and we have open race conversations. All the time. Give us a snapshot into what kind of what you're seeing transform in this process. Yeah. So I'm seeing the same thing that you're saying. I'm seeing that some people, it's really, really difficult for them to listen to it because it causes a certain sense of guilt for people that they didn't even know. It's so, it causes a certain sense of guilt for their past whiteness to, to treat such a Black person like me that's sitting at the table with them a certain way. Right. It causes a certain guilt. How does that transform into their everyday actions? Right. When they go out into the world, they see some of one of them even volunteers. Right. Or as an educator and volunteers to go in certain communities. Right. To teach in those in those communities. Right. Those are well-meaning white people that want. Yeah, there's some things that you just, just can't really let it go. But I'm going to tell you something. When they finish teaching, they go into their neighborhood which is all white and they rest comfortable. But here's the thing, they're going out of their comfort zone to go into another community and teach with all of the risks that are associated with that, right? 
but you yet you still have black people that will not leave their community riddled in violence, gun violence, and gangs. Yet you have this education, this income, you can do it. I know them personally. They are shackled in their brains to stay in that community because of the fear of doing something like what I did and building a home in the heart of a white community so that they can do that. So you tell me, how is it not a partnership? It has to go both ways in order to break down those walls and those barriers. It's a slow process. Yeah, there's a lot of atrocities that happen systematically, but we have to continue to move forward and fight for those things. Not fighting and crawling and asking for, give me something, give me this, take down, give, put black people in these positions. Those things are happening and they're happening fast, but we have to also be willing to go boldly and do those things that are un 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 uncomfortable for us as well. To go into those communities, knowing that we may get stared, knowing that when we go to Walgreens, someone is going to be clench clenching their purse every day. But eventually they're going to see me at Walgreens enough times to know that, huh, I think that I need to rethink how I see black people because D lives on the corner, he lives this, and he has great children and I see him every day, but yet I, I'm not uncomfortable anymore, right? So can I ask you a question? Do you feel yeah. like white people have had that experience um, being exposed to black people at any other time in history like that? seeing the prominence and success and kind of like, well, you know, the, the growth and kind of like hitting new levels of, uh, you know, as, as shifting their consciousness by seeing black people at elevated state. Do you feel like that has historically been true that brought us here? That, that is the only reason why we don't have slavery now. That's the only reason why I'm a black man that can move into a white neighborhood. That's the only reason why you can have a black president. That's the only reason why you can go to a doctor's office and almost always find a black doctor. That's almost the, that's the only reason why you see older black people living today happy and healthy is because they have seen the differences and the changes. It has happened. Does it happen as quickly as we want? No, but I think that it is happening. And right now is one of the best times for you to go out there as a person of color and take advantage of all the resources that are available. Because some, when well, we had a different president a little while ago, those, those liberties were threatened and it caused a lot of violence. And those liberties were also threatened in a sense to where is that someone shaped the people's mindset that was once free and shaped it and made them believe that they were living within a certain limited space. And if they don't change, they're gonna lose all of that. That's the propaganda and mindset they cause the pain and the white, the, the what you call white supremacy now. And that's also what caused the pain in history of black people. It's people's consciousness and how and what they believe within a limited set of make-believe resources and opportunity. And that is not the case. And um, so what's what's the message? What's the message to for white folks right now that the message for white people. The message for white people is to be appreciative of your status and where you are, the comfort zone that you have you have benefited from, the the the, the ability to have grandparents that may even be still alive. Be thankful for those things, but you don't. But stop thinking that you are going to lose resources by being kind and giving an opportunity to a black person or recognizing a black person is more qualified. 
be open and recognizing that you're not losing because a black person is excelling. It's not the case. There are multiple opportunities that exist. Mm. Be open and recognize you're living within a certain parameter of lines. Get out of that. The resources are not going away. Interest rates are high now and they're low again. They were this same lack of economy, this, this change of economy and lack of resources, the threat of recession and, and a possible depression has happened over and over and over again in life. You're, you're not losing anything by allowing yourself to be kind and understanding and understanding that we are no different and we share the same values as you. That's it. We want to go to the same schools. We want to go to the park and walk and feed the ducks at seven and eight o'clock at night as the sun go down. We want the same things, right? We do. And I think that for white culture, I think that since that's the subject matter of, of helping them to understand those benefits, we want the same thing. We do. And be open and sharing in those spaces. Don't clench your purse because you see a, a black person walk into the room. Don't pass on that negative energy because some people see that and they had no intentions on being nasty to you. But when they see that, they now become aggressive and nasty to you. Why? Because you asked for it. By responding just because a black person walked into your space. Take the time to talk to a black person if they sit next to you. If a black person opens up a conversation to you, engage them in the conversation. You never know what you'll, what you'll learn. Take some time to go to a black restaurant. They exist, you know. Go to it. Don't feel so threatened all the time. No one wants what you have. Sometimes we just want to buy a bottle of wine too. Sometimes we want to take our kids to Disney World and enjoy the ride the same way you do. You don't have to create treat us differently or feel any indifferent because we walked into the space. Enjoy that space because I'm going to tell you something. If you see me at the grocery store shopping next to you, it's a possibility that I have money and I want, I came in here for a reason the same way you do. If you see me driving a Volvo <laughs> or a Subaru Outback, it's a good chance that I'm not going to hurt you. Relax. Learn how to size us up the way we've been taught to size you up, right? And know when the threat is there. Know us, learn us. Just because we wear our hair a certain way has nothing to do with how we think. It has nothing to do with my values. I get out and cut my grass all the time. Well, I pay someone to cut, right? I like grass. I like my grass in my yard beautified as well. We want the same things and we share the same values. We're not all bad, just like we know that all white people aren't bad. I know you hear a lot of negative things come out in the media about, about we have our fist up in the air and we're fighting for rights and we're fighting for this. Most of us, honestly, are not fighting. You don't have to feel like you need to give up anything. But when we see one of our people laying on the ground simply because they're black, it's a reminder. And what it does, it opens up the consciousness that we now lay dormant because we believe and we have faith in this better world. Now what happens when we see that, it opens up a different side of us and it reminds us of the pain. And now there's chaos. Well said. Thank you. What would you uh, offer 
for white folks to deal with when they're starting to feel their guilt and shame when they do start to learn some of the realities of, say, Black people's stories and, and history as it really exists? What should well, they do? What should they do when they feel that sense of guilt? With their own guilt and shame that shows up. That's a great question. If you're feeling any sense of guilt by what's happening to a person of another race, I encourage you to take some time and think about that. Or any bad, is, what, if that, is, am I answering the question, Nishan? Yeah. I, I challenge you, just take a moment and think about why that feeling is existing inside of you right now. Because everyone doesn't feel that. I come from the belief that if you have a feeling, feelings precedes any and everything. There's an energy that we feel, and I, sometimes we can't even describe the feeling, but the feeling is there. I challenge you to go out, go out, and do some research and 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 not and educate yourself on that particular incident. And I want you to do the history of not only the incident but the people involved. Find out a little bit like more the about the incident them. that they learned about. You mean like incident, say a time yes. in history or a, a time in history or something? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Go back and find out the history of these incidents and why do they continue to happen? Challenge yourself and go back. I know it's going to be painful. And I know you may uncover truths that you never believed even existed. I recognize that you're going to go and dig and find out that your great-grandfather probably did own slaves, right? Or the part of your wealth in a beautiful home that you're living in or the ability, the ability to have a a, a financial nest egg to help you put your down payment at home came from some possible atrocity in history that may involve an action that led to you benefiting from that. Go back and look at that. If you feel that guilt, see what you can do about it. Donate to certain Black causes. Donate to certain certain or even donate your time but i honestly believe the best thing to do is donate your time because when you plant yourself inside of the action or the place right of 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 your uncomfortable space your comfort zone get out of your comfort zone and plant yourself in that place where you're uncomfortable you will be forced to learn brand new things about yourself and your brain and your neurons will literally change, creating a brand new perception of what you once thought and go back into your community. And when you hear your friends or your neighbors talk negatively about something that they have not done what you did and experienced it, I want you to share that experience with them and let them know that this is not true and it's not right. The same way you do if you hear your kid coming in talking about Black people now or homosexual, you say that's not right. You say you can't use those words. Do the same thing when it comes to the things that you learned. And for those people that never felt any guilt and they have, they still living in that old, old <laughs> uh, mindset to words that they just believe that they're superior, take some time and understand and educate them. Even though it may seem like it goes on deaf, deaf ears, they're listening and they hear it. And one day they'll open up and when the, and the time comes, and it's slowly, the seed will now grow. It will grow and it will continue to grow, giving opportunities to people like me to move in certain areas and have opportunities that didn't exist a hundred years ago. Yeah. And you notice that even though I'm still went to that school, your children and your neighbors still had an opportunity to get educated and have a great life. So it's, there is no amount of resource because the more education we all have, the more opportunities to get created from that knowledge for everybody. 
Yes. And getting exposed, right, to culture outside of your own and learning to have curiosity and to ask questions and not have it be these huge rifts of territory of divides to cross, but rather a a very normal aspect of human relations, right? And being able to say, wow, what makes, what do you eat? You know, what does your family do? And and, and learning each other um, as opposed to the historical silence that has kept us in shame and guilt and um, and not being able to talk about very normal things because kids are naturally curious. They're naturally right. like, hey, and That's we right. teach the constructs that have to overlay their personality for survival. And That's right. thank you for all that. That's our thank job. You. Yeah. One of the beautiful things about you, Nishan, is when I first met, I first met you, we were at a tapas restaurant on South. I want to say that was Wabash. It was a tapas restaurant and they had bar and it was a music night, right? One of the things about you that helped me to feel comfortable is you had an open personality. You had a very welcoming energy that invited me not only to talk to you, but to also to feel a sense where a a judgment-free zone. Mm. You You have that ability. And that is why you have friends of all different races because of your ability. And that may have come from possibly a certain pain because I noticed that people that experience certain trauma and pain, they tend to be more open to other people's plight. And they're more more empathetic to that historical um, pain and creates a sense of uh, connection, right? And I don't know, because I know that there are some things there that you're overcoming. But I want to tell you this, that is that that same pain is what white people need to feel. And and that's the guilt. Once you feel that sense of guilt or pain, now we have a connection. Now. Yes. Now. Now you're open and ready to receive because the tears, the pain is now being shared in someone else's eyes. Experience that. Go out there and do that. Continue to be who you are, Nishan. Don't ever change that because I remember when I first met you, you had on a white skirt, you had like a white suit on, and you had some other things that you, I think you were selling or or advertising. I think yeah. I it was back yeah. when I was in my business selling nutrition, and I, I'm sure I was yes. doing a sample night. So yes. y'all are having happy hour, yes. and I'm there sampling some nutrition sampling, juices. But I want to comment on what you're saying because this goes back far more than a decade, y'all. And I do. I feel like I've always prided my upbringing as that, right? It gave me a world perspective that did help me kind of crack out of this kind of small, going back to the analogy you gave, the small box that I feel like I've called mainstream white America. But it really could be mainstream America because anybody can fit into this kind of American box and the whole world doesn't see us the way we see us, right? And so the it gave me a worldview which does span culture and a curiosity in culture because you grow up so different right with a different name and so you have to you force you're forced into otherness which makes you go through resilient experiences of being made fun of and pushed aside and your names made fun of and all these things and 
this is what I think you're referring to in terms of the silver yes. lining that can come from trauma is yes. really true if yes. you're willing to metabolize yes. it. If yes. you're willing to realize like, yeah, yes. that is true. I'm not yes. pretending it doesn't exist, yes. but I have to let myself feel it. And I have yes. to let myself get dismembered and broken yes. apart yes. And, and feel yes. and let that emotional yes. charge move through the system as yes. the vessel that we are. Yes. Yes. So it's not stuck energy and yes. keeps us in that limited Yes point, which was to terrorize our system there into thinking ourselves yep. incapable of anything other than that lived experience. Absolutely. 100%. And when I say that, that is when I talk about the responsibility falls on the individual, right? That's what I mean. I'm not and, ignoring and, that these things exist. I'm I telling wanted, you to use wanted, that pain. And I want to say thank pain. you for that. Thank you for the distinction. Yes. Because I get really... I have a hard time with rhetoric without the distinction that lands yes. it in yes. the body, in yes. a lived experience of, of yes. experiencing pain. Yes. And, 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 the, the, and, and the other level to that pain and that trauma and that guilt is yes. to say, thank you for it, no matter how painful it is. Once I learned how to say thank you for the trauma that I experienced in my past, once I learned to appreciate it, that's when the benefits now open up. Now you have allowed the message within that pain to, to take you and transform you into who you really supposed to be. But if you hold on to it, you allow that pain to continue to resonate and grow and you truncate your full potential. Everyone doesn't experience, everyone don't experience pain and trauma. But usually the people that are most successful in this world from the Oprahs to the Bill Clintons to all of these big names, they always have a very, very, very painful past in some dark place that they learn how to use to strengthen them to move forward. And that's why I say thank you to the trauma. Thank you to the experiences. Thank you to the video cameras to show me the racism. Thank you for the guilt. Thank you for it. How do I use that to transform myself to become better in this energy field, in this ecosystem of positive and negative. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and how can I let myself be exposed so that I can get dismembered so that I can reform into something new so that yes. I can offer something else other than just the, the fragmented parts that was left behind from the experience. That's right. That's um, right. I want to say one last thing before we wrap up, um, because it really speaks to what you're talking about for white people um, in that same business when we met where I sampling my nutrition products I mean, as my business was starting to grow in Chicago, um, you know, one of the top executives of the company that, you know, was corporate, he was an African-American older gentleman in his seventies. And, and I was doing a presentation at a black church and I had never gone to a black church before. I mean, I had gone to one before, but that's how I got the connected of this. And this wasn't just any black church, but this was going to be like all the bishops and then their congregations. And it was a whole thing. So he was coming to help me, this older mentor of mine. And I remember being in there and, you know, I've interacted with people of all culture at this point, but I remember kind of distinctly thinking like, this is me saying to him, like, well, how do you think they'll receive me? Like, will that be, will black people be okay with coming in here right and he he looks at me and and this was it was such a powerful thing and i know it to be very trauma-informed and, and it really speaks to what you're saying but he said to me well how do you feel about it <laughs> and i was like 
I feel good, you know? I, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm comfortable. And he was like, that's all that matters. Black people will feel how you're comfortable, how you feel. There you go. There you go. And white people feel the same way. When they know that I am comfortable with them and I'm not blaming them for any atrocities of my blackness, right? We know it's happened. We know it's bad. We know it's, it's old as well. But as long as I introduce myself and I'm representing myself in this beautiful space of a human being, it's going to be received the same way. But we're energy people. If I go out with this anger, if I'm carrying this baggage and this pain and this trauma, everywhere I go, I'm going to meet that one person that's going to remind me of that racism. It happens. And it used to happen all the time. And once I learned how to let go of that energy and feel good about it and be thankful for it and move into this world in a completely different lane, the people that I came across, white people, Asian, Mexican, all are in that same space. And therefore, my world has been transformed in a, more, in a really beautiful uh, place as Thank a result you. of that. Yeah. Thank you for sharing yourself, your lenses, your family, your experiences, um, your ideology, all of it. Thank you. Your creativity, your healing, yes. your pain. All of yes. it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. You're uh, welcome. I'm glad you're glad you had me on. I hope I hope it resonates with those that get a chance to hear it. And I'm hoping that they use it and they take it and they transform themselves and they challenge themselves in their comfort zone against their comfort zone to be better. Me too. That's what it's about. Um, I always ask guests to bring in a song uh, that represents their their story or their episode in some way. Would you like to tell us what you chose and what you brought here? I, I love listening to the hang drum. Hang drum is simple. I don't listen to music with words because words change how you feel. And I don't like listening to a lot of music with words. I only like instrumental music because I get a chance to feel whatever I want to feel in the beauty of the music. Mm. And that is why I chose hang drum. All right, beautiful. Let's listen to some hang drum here, folks. the hang drum project and although this is copyrighted music um, when we don't listen to the whole thing I do create a uncomfortable conversations podcast playlist so we can listen to every episode and you can listen to the playlist um, I want to thank you for being a guest D and I want to thank listeners for listening in today please remember that dismantling whiteness is an everyday all day lifelong endeavor it does not end it's a commitment to think, do, and live better than we've ever been expected to or allowed to before. Dismantling the myth of white body supremacy begins inside of you, inside of me, and inside of the collective we in our personal commitment, 
in our own bodies of culture to grow the white experience beyond assumed supremacy. I invite you to listen, to learn, and to grow beyond the limitations that whiteness has, con has and continues to impose on all of us. If you need support beyond this listening space, you can connect with me at gurunishan.com. I'm a writer, speaker, and trauma healing activist, offering free and paid resources online and consulting in body-based cultural intelligence. If you'd like to be a guest and share your story, please email me at gn at gurunishan.com. And please also like, subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast with someone that you love. Your listening and sharing support is greatly appreciated. The information presented in this podcast are for general educational purposes only. The views and opinions expressed are solely the views of the individuals involved. By listening, you agree not to use this podcast as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others, including but not limited to patients that you are treating. Nothing in this podcast is intended to replace the services of a trained therapist, doctor, or health professional, or otherwise to substitute for professional mental health, medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Guru Nishan LLC and affiliate organizations shall under no circumstances be liable to any listener of the podcast or viewer for any action or inaction on your part as a result of the content you consume on this podcast or for any adverse reaction, including any emotional distress you experience as a result of consuming this podcast.